Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, I'm excited to have Dr. Tom Smythe. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me. Dr. Smythe is a professor of finance in the Department of Economics and Finance at Florida Gulf Coast University, which is just a few miles from my home here in Southwest Florida and a beautiful campus, by the way, Tom. Yes. Welcome. And tell us a little bit about your background, Tom, how you got here, how you got interested in finance. Yeah, so I took sort of a a weird route to where I am now. I graduated from uh, undergraduate far longer ago than I care to remember, but (laughs) I actually served four years in the Army and then worked uh, about seven years at Mobile Oil. And while I was there, I started working on my, my MBA and got very attracted to finance, very broadly defined. I mean, I'd always been interested in sort of personal finance topics. I'd never been formally exposed to them in any way, shape, or form. And the thing that sort of started to pique my interest a lot was I was a subscriber to Money Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I read it voraciously and got real interested in the mutual fund arena and uh, a variety of other uh, personal finance topics. And about that same time, I got this nutty idea that I, I might want to leave uh, private industry and go back to school full-time and, and, and get my PhD, thinking uh, I might like to teach. And sure enough, I did. I, I went back to University of South Carolina to work on my PhD in finance. Somewhat ironically, I didn't teach for about two years. So there was this period of time where I'm like, gee, am I really doing the right thing? Uh, but certainly once I got in the classroom, I figured out I loved it. And ended up writing my dissertation on uh, mutual funds and very specifically uh, a type of mutual fund called a multiple share class fund. Uh, A lot of people know them sort of as ABC funds. And I went to work for a school in Tennessee, Tennessee, Chattanooga, ended up back at my alma mater, uh, Furman University, where I was for about 18 years until May. Uh, And finally, all my kids were out of the house and there were some things going on there that I wouldn't particularly, you know, wasn't very pleasant. And my 25-year-old daughter challenged me to do something about it. And I decided to start looking for a job and through some professional connections, landed here at Florida Gulf Coast, which was a, a great fit for me because my interest over time academically from a research perspective has been always in this sort of mutual fund space, but is also migrated into sort of personal financial planning and financial literacy. And uh, Florida Gulf Coast, uh, starting this fall, has just introduced a CFP board certified undergraduate program and is moving in sort of that financial planning, financial literacy space. So for me, it's just a, a great fit for what my interests are uh, and where my research is. That's that's awesome. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Money Magazine because 
as our audience possibly knows, but just to remind them, my first 15 years, and I've been doing wealth coaching, wealth management for 31, going on 32 years. So I understand when you think, I don't want to go back and figure out exactly how long I've been doing this. <laughs> but I, uh, the first 15 years or so, I did fee-based, full-service financial planning. And I used to use this example of Money Magazine, because I used to read Money Magazine like crazy too back in the day. And they always had this article that came out at like the beginning of the year. And it said, I don't remember now if it was 10 or 20 mutual funds that you absolutely must own. You remember that? <laughs> yes, that's and, right. And yeah, I do. And, and eventually they started doing them every six months. Yeah. And so I went back and did the math on if you bought the funds that they said you had to own when they said you had to own them. And I'm just telling you, Tom, you did not do very well. No, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. It's, it's interesting. Some of my research looks at uh, behavioral patterns of how people interpret advertisements like magazine. In fact, our example advertisements were as if they were coming for money and the prime characteristic that people tend to follow is performance. Doesn't surprise me at all that uh, uh, they ended up being uh, losers on the back end. So, you know, don't you think that that's a little bit of that greed fear cycle? So you hear like, what was, uh, what was the Peter Lynch uh, fund back in the day? Uh, Uh, Fidelity Uh, Magellan. Fidelity Magellan. So by the time Fidelity Magellan came around, people were like, oh, I got to buy this, right? So they buy it when they're greedy because it's up. And then it starts to go down because, you know, just it's always cyclical, right? And then they panic and then they sell it. So they buy high and they sell low and they don't understand why they're making money. So you're saying that your approach kind of is a little bit more trying to take that emotion out of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, the the research that that we were looking at was, geared very specifically towards uh, a more important factor for long-term, somebody's long-term wealth in mutual funds, and that's expense ratios. Right. There's overwhelming evidence that higher expense ratios lead to poor outcomes. And about 10 years ago, what was uh, NASD, now FINRA, uh, legislated that if uh, funds were going to advertise performance in Money Magazine, you know, or it was print advertising in general, but I've always used money as my my source. They also had to present what the expense ratios in those funds were, and they, the idea was they finally, you know, took took some advice from the academics and 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 said, look, you know, if you're going to promote this performance, which has the negative effects that we've already talked about, you've also got to present this information on expenses. And so what we did, I with a psychology colleague, is we presented people with advertisements that that we had uh, constructed that had varying pieces of information in it. Some had performance, some had just expense information, uh, some had combinations. We varied high and low in terms of performance and expenses. And then we asked them to recall information after they'd uh, looked and, and ranked the ads. And really what we were testing was, do people pay attention to the cost? Uh, which again is the sort of the overriding, overarching factor that persists over time in mutual funds. And not surprisingly, we found that in fact, nope, 
they don't use expenses. They still migrate to the returns. Unfortunately, what we found is that investors that went through this that are considered more savvy actually use performance more. Wow. Yet in prior, prior studies and surveys, they said they didn't use advertising at all. Uh, so it, mm. as much a, a big a fan as I am of survey research, it, it just goes to show that sometimes people tell you what they want to hear. Right. The thing that was disturbing was that we asked people, you know, what information would you have liked to seen in the advertisements? And about half of the, the study group said they'd like to see something about cost. Yet that information was in the ads. Um, right. So, yeah, the, the psychology behind this and what people attach uh, to, in this case, performance, is really, really powerful. And as you pointed out, uh, we tend to make really goofy decisions. Buying after the high, selling at a low, worst case scenario. So, you know, that comes into the part of, you know, you and I had lunch uh, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and you were telling me about the program that you guys were doing at FGCU. And the thing that I found that I find really fascinating is the financial education that we receive in this country like even starting in high school where we should, I've heard a marketing person one time told me that we get 5,000 ads thrown at us a day. And so many of them are about our money, right? Right. Where to spend money, whether it's a car ad or or a mutual fund or, you know, gold or whatever the investments are. And we don't have any education regarding that. And I always use a doctor kind of as an example, because a doctor, depending on your specialty, could go to school for, let's say, 17 years, and they don't have to take any business classes or any finance classes. Yeah. And they're running multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah. And they're already typically saddled with a lot of debt. And by the way, they don't teach them, here's the strategy on how to get out of debt either. You know, like, here's how interest works. I mean, like these are smart people. They could understand that. So to me, it's like this financial education. So one of the things that, first of all, tell the audience a little bit about this program. And then let's talk about some of the things, some of the observations and some of the, what, what the data says about when somebody goes through this pretty quick program, like how it increases their confidence. You know, one of the things that I, I love the quote that says confidence attracts opportunities and lack of confidence repels opportunities. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's something important for, for kids to understand or anybody out there trying to educate yourself. The more confidence you have, you're going to attract opportunities in your life. So tell us about the program. Yeah, so this program that uh, started about 10 years ago, while I was still uh, on the faculty of Furman, saw that, like you, I have this passion about personal finance. And, you know, I knew enough that, Financial literacy in the United States is pretty paltry. Uh, the statistics are just overwhelming um, in terms of, you know, 75% of the population couldn't pay for a $500 emergency or, you know, those kinds of things. So I felt like I had a strong opportunity with very specifically at that time, it was all spring term college seniors. And I saw it as an opportunity in large part because the students, minus any student debt that they had, had a real opportunity to start their financial lives in a very strong and positive way if uh, they had just a little bit of knowledge about the types of things they come in contact with quickly. 
you know, budgeting, emergency funds, setting aside money for uh, financial independence, you know, all those types of things, insurance uh, types of issues. Uh, so we started offering a six-week program, a six-session program. Uh, it's a total of about 15 hours where we talked about six different topics uh, ranging from budgeting to um, retirement and risk and return, you know, basic principles. And initially, it was a pay-to-play. I was compensated for my time. Students loved it. Feedback was every student ought to take it. Uh, but there's not a lot of appetite in, in higher ed for that kind of required learning uh, because it's not considered academic yet. It likely will have probably the largest impact on a person's uh, personal life uh, from the time they graduate until the time they die. But anyway, so we, you know, I did the program for about six or seven years, and then there was a strategic initiative at Furman uh, to to try to address a a broader form of education of a student, which all of a sudden brought a program like this into the spotlight. And uh, the university said, well, we're going to commit some resources to this, uh, and we're going to offer it, uh, and we're going to offer it to any student senior uh, that would like to take it. Uh, and about three years ago, we started offering it both in the fall and the spring of seniors' year. But in addition to that, we started, uh, we said, gee, you know, we've really got an opportunity here to um, examine whether or not this education works. So we, uh, again, I partnered with a psychology colleague and we uh, developed uh, a survey instrument that examines financial literacy, but we also took into account psychological factors like confidence or feelings of stress or anxiety about dealing with these issues upon graduation, because most most academic research basically says, here are three questions to measure literacy. Let's look at them before you uh, get educated, look at them after, and we're done. Did we improve? Uh, But it turns out it's not quite that simple. A lot of uh, a person's framework uh, psychologically can impact um, what their initial levels of uh, financial literacy are and their ability to learn about those topics through a seminar series. So over the course of the last three years, we've collected data, not just from the people that were in the seminar, but we also uh, had a control group of folks that responded to both our pre and post surveys that uh, were not in the seminar. And of course, we're trying to control for um, whether or not we were actually seeing improvement. And our, our results have become pretty, pretty solid that um, we are seeing significant improvement in financial literacy, just in absolute numbers. But I think the real important thing is that prior to uh, these students participating in the seminar, they have financial literacy schools below the control group, and after the seminar, they're higher, uh, um, significantly so. The other thing that you pointed out was this whole idea of confidence. Um, So nobody's really sort of measured confidence about the way people feel about their uh, financial futures. And what we find is that both in sort of a general context, look uh, for a student looking at their financial future post-college, as well as confidence in 
the topics that we present. The students that take the seminar improve their uh, confidence dramatically, uh, and again, well above the, what the control group presents. So um, we feel like uh, we're uh, having a positive impact, not just on the literacy component, right? But as you pointed out, the more confident that, that people feel, the, the greater the likelihood that they're going to take actions to improve their situations. And that ultimately is what we care about is the behavioral change. Yeah. You know, and something you said, Tom, on the, the confidence is you said, and I, I'm always uh, fascinated at this, this next part, by the way, because growing up in the inner city of Los Angeles and growing up very poor, I always had this fascination with what people in Palos Verdes or, you know, other like you know, Manhattan Beach, people that lived there, what they knew that these other people that were living around me didn't know. And you said that there was a correlation, if I remember, between their socioeconomic background and their confidence when it comes to money. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Very specifically, most of our our strongest correlations at this point have been gender related. Yep. Oh, that's right. Mostly because of the um, the, the makeup of the student population at Furman. However, as we collect more data, we are starting to see evidence that minorities uh, have less confidence and lower financial literacy scores. So that's, uh, uh, again, that's one of those areas that uh, we really want to try to help improve. And, and our evidence to date, as it applies to gender, historically, women have been less confident and have experienced or exhibit lower levels of financial literacy. What our research shows is that that gap gets closed with our seminar. Uh, so we feel as if we're doing the things to help overcome uh, some of the uh, traditional cultural and socioeconomic impediments, uh, but we've, we've really got to get those people into, into the seminar. You know, and I think that's awesome because, you know, Probably, who do we learn about money from is the first people that we learn about money is our parents. And so if our parents aren't familiar or don't have any money or they have never been educated about money, then they're not going to be very good teachers or coaches for us about money. And people that if you have more money, then you learn things, whether you learn them naturally or the hard way, or you were educated about it, you learn about how to handle money. And I always like to think of, uh, of wealthy families in the past. And you think of like the Rockefellers or you think of the Vanderbilts and you know, there's two different paths that those two families went down, even though obviously they all, both of them had tremendous wealth at, uh, you know, a hundred years or so ago, but the Vanderbilts, I think it was in the eighties or nineties had a family reunion at Vanderbilt university and there wasn't a millionaire amongst them. So there's, there's the right way to do things. I mean, I think the Rockefellers are probably still going pretty strong and then there's the wrong way of doing things. So educating ourselves and not making those mistakes you know, I, 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 I'm with you is I would have a passion to help that, that community, both to help women out there become more confident and also help minorities or poor kids in a, just a more general term or group of getting more confident about money. And it just takes coaching. It just takes education. And, 
you know, confidence is a skill set. I mean, I'm not an educator, but I mean, I, I mean, I do educate people, but I'm not a formal educator. I mean, confidence is something that you learn by educating yourself and you feel more confident about whatever subject you're learning about. Yeah. Knowledge. I mean, you know, the old, the old axiom, knowledge is power, power in a variety of different ways. Uh, and confidence is one of those. The reality is if I don't know something and if I am averse to it to begin with, I mean, think of all the uh, institutions that uh, exist where the, the topic of money is just absolutely taboo. Historically, in our areas of uh, faith, it's been uh, a topic of taboo. Of course, in today's political discourse, this classic class separation, uh, it's not something that we are particularly comfortable talking about. However, the reality is these things are going to happen. Things are going to happen to us whether we choose them or not. Uh, and the odds are if we don't actively participate, you know, bad things will happen just as a consequence of inaction. So try to arm people with knowledge, even if the knowledge is simply to say, you know, I don't know enough about this topic. So when I'm faced with this decision, I need to get some help, right? Opposed to just sort of letting it roll over you as you go through life. Um, so that's, that's part of what we're trying to uh, get across. You know, we, uh, I, I have taught a seminar with a couple of colleagues. And one of the things that all of us do is we, we give life stories, you know, about where we grew up. Uh, with this stuff. We've all made mistakes uh, with money, but we also talk about, you know, once we've sort of righted the ship, how much better things were. I, it's interesting. Uh, we're talking about this confidence. I have uh, a daughter who's uh, studying in the uh, UK right now, but she was an art history major as an undergrad. And if I even brought up the topic of money when she was eight, 21 years old, uh, she ran the other way, uh, you know, dad, <laughs> I don't want to hear dad's dad's lecture. Uh, and so I finally sort of backed off, you know, I didn't want to push the issue, but she came to me right after uh, she graduated from college, probably the fall afterward. And she said, you know, dad, I, I, I really want to learn how to do this budgeting thing, right? I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired of things hitting me and not knowing what's going on and feeling like I'm behind the eight ball. So we sat down and we talked about it and, you know, I helped her sort of build through a budget, just something that simple. And I think if you were to ask her now, what she would say is that she's not stress-free, but boy, is she in a lot better place than she was two years ago, three years ago. Um, and again, that's that sort of knowledge is power thing where you can take control of it. There, there are more than enough things that happen outside of our control that for those things that we can plan for and have a active voice in, a, in the decision process, we're much better off. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point, Tom. And that's cool that she, that she did that. You know, I have a theater major, so you just gave me a little hope there because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, she's heard me talk about money for her whole 21 years on this planet. And I got to tell you a funny story when I think she was in fourth or fifth grade, you know, the teacher says, uh, can anybody tell me what the golden rule is? 
and now this is the way that I explain the golden rule is she, she raises her hand immediately and she says, I know what that is. Those who have the gold make the rules. And she goes, well, no, that's not it. And so she came home very disappointed. And I said, we well, yeah, treat, you know, treat other people as you'd like to be treated. But, but that is the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And she goes, yeah. and, and then I remember she was in high school and she said to me, all you talk about is money. And I said, yeah, that's because money gives you choice. Choice gives you freedom. And I'm all about freedom. And it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, or you're just, you know, you're a, you know, a middle-class working person your money still gives you choice and your choice gives you freedom. And so the smarter you can be with your money, if you understand what's happening, then you'll know what to do. That's what I love about what you said about the mutual funds. If you know what those expenses are, then they vary widely. I mean, they're wildly in, in that industry. I mean, it's crazy the, the range of expenses. And, you know, you have to understand what is happening. That's how you build confidence too. And, you know, I think it's great what you're doing with this program. And, you know, Tom, what are some, like, let's say that somebody isn't by Florida Gulf Coast University. And I, I would tell you that if your kids go to Florida Gulf Coast University, make sure they sign up for the seminar. And, and uh, I hope that this is something that catches on and you guys uh, maybe make this either regional or national in what you're doing. But what are some books, you know, one or two books that you would say that you would recommend somebody that wants to learn more and build their confidence on finance, what they would read? Yeah, that's a good question. I am still a, a fan of Money Magazine, even with its uh, with some of its faults. I, I just think it, uh, over the course of a year, the topics that they cover, if nothing else, they make you realize those topics are important. I think that's critical. It's, it's easy to read, you know, certainly in today's environment. Uh, you can pull it up on your phone. I think that's good. I think from a individual investor uh, perspective, assuming uh, you're using uh, mutual funds to sort of build your core uh, holdings, uh, something, anything by uh, Jack Vogel, Common Sense on Mutual Funds, any of those uh, where he really lays out the case well for low fees and uh, those kinds of things. Uh, and there are other, you know, there are other uh, authors out there that are. Uh, a, a good, um, I, I think it's the fundamentals though. Uh, anything that teaches you how to budget, uh, live within your means, put away money for uh, uh, emergency fund if you don't have one, and then start to build wealth. And there are many different ways to do that. But as you pointed out, um, ultimately, wealth is what gives you the freedom to choose how you want to do it. One of the things that uh, I'm always uh, sort of, I sort of chuckle under my breath is, you know, a lot of people that, again, have sort of this negative attitude towards money. Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of them are, you know, colleagues on the other side of campus uh, that, you know, have lofty goals. And, you know, I'm like, but, you know, you realize that if you build wealth, you get to choose how that wealth is used, which you can contribute to whatever programs um, whether it's arts or the homeless or, you know, whatever the, the different uh, programs are, wealth allows you to do that. That's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, and to ignore that and to sort of uh, uh, downplay that, I think, is um, really sort of closing yourself off to uh, the possibility of being able to do more uh, as opposed to less. 
Yeah, you know, you, you you brought up something too, is I think when you go back to those, you know, your upbringing, whether you were affluent or poor or somewhere in the middle, is it's what you were taught about money. And a lot of poor kids are taught money is the root of all evil or the people that have money did that by, you know, in some uh, less than honest ways and and, you know, it's really just not true. I mean, the love of money, I mean, if you, if you want to go biblical, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Not, not money itself. I mean, so I do believe that everyone should prosper at whatever level that they, that they want to have the freedom to do that. And the way that you got to do it is educate yourself. And again, when I was a kid looking around and figuring out what are these people doing differently, I didn't, I didn't have a coach. So what I did is I just started studying it. And, and in today's world, there's so many resources to, to study it. And I think it's really cool what you're, what, what you're doing in the, in the data. I mean, I would have never, you know, just, that's just not my personality or background, but the data and the science behind what you guys are looking at and the psychology of it is, uh, I just found really fascinating when we sat down and talked about it. And I really hope the audience really will grasp onto this. And in, in, in the lesson, I think the takeaway is regardless if you're that graduating senior or you're on the faculty of a school somewhere or you're, you're working at Ford somewhere, you know, putting the cars together is educate yourself. And it's so easy today to do. There's so many resources for free to do this. So Tom, any famous last word? I was just going to agree with you. I, our target audience has been, to this point, largely students, but uh, I, I support what you're saying. It, this applies to everybody and, and in some ways may apply to, you know, the 30-year-old more than the, the college student. You know, ultimately, what I would like to see is people being less dependent on other people. Absolutely. And have uh, the freedom to be able to do things on their own in ways that they choose. And uh, as you pointed out, education and, and and there's no there's no right entry point. I didn't get interested in this stuff until you know I was in my late twenties. Um, I think I told you at lunch if if I had you know the five years from the time I graduated until I actually you know s- started putting these principles in practice, gosh, you know I I would really be in a strong place. But the reality is, I didn't know about it. I did what you did, which is started digging into it. And uh, I'm in a lot better place than I would have been if I'd done nothing. That's exactly right. If you let everybody else control your financial future, then everybody else is going to have a great financial future, probably not you. And, you know, you have to take control of that and educate yourself. And I, I love some of the new commercials that like they talk about their dad's broker and questioning, are you, why, why does your broker do that? You know, so I love that these, and you know, you're around young people every day. And we, I create Tailwind, we help a lot of guys in their, and when I say guys, and I mean, men and women in their twenties uh, and thirties. And uh, I was listening to a podcast of Dan Sullivan, who's uh, runs a company called Strategic Coach. And he's just, he's one of my favorites, but he said, uh, they asked him if he liked children. He said, yeah, um, once they're 40 and above. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it was funny because he thinks that you're, you know, that, that your thirties, he calls that your gauntlet. So something that you said is yeah. between 30 and 40, you know, when somebody's 30, 
they're probably more of a reflection of their upbringing and everything else. But between 30 and 40, his, his opinion was that's where you really decide who are you, how are you going to be, uh, have an impact in the world. And, and so I think that's really a, um, a cool way to look at it. So if you, if, if you're in your twenties, start studying, if you're in your thirties and you know, honestly, if you're in your sixties, start studying this stuff. Absolutely. Because you gotta, you gotta do it. Tom, any famous last words? No, I, I think, I think we, uh, uh, we've hit on, I guess, really to echo what you just said. Uh, and that, that is, don't think it's ever too late to start. Uh, the reality is I, uh, my, uh, I have a father who's uh, 81 years old uh, and has not made particularly uh, sound financial choices uh, throughout most of his adult life. But just in the last three years, he built a budget, he stuck to it, and he's got a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, so even someone like him who's, you know, started it, you know, in his late 70s, and he feels so much better, uh, you know, much less stress, feels like he's in um, uh, much greater control. Um, and, and so I think that's it. Uh, there's, there's no bad time to, to educate yourself and, and try to make changes. Yeah. You know, you made that, that story and that's a cool story about your dad. And, I, and that's very cool because you know, when you're, when you, when we're in our elder years, stress is the thing that's going to get us, man. And we got yeah, so that we got to yeah. reduce that stress. Right. But it, it reminded me on somebody on the opposite side of maybe the age spectrum is I had a guy that was on the podcast, I don't know how many months ago, his name was Todd Fleming. And Todd is like 30 years old, right? But five years ago, he had 25, he's sitting in his cubicle and he had $25 in his checking account. And the thing that crossed his mind was, does that mean when I'm 50, I'm going to have $50 in my checking account? It was just, you know, the, the weirdest little thoughts are the ones that motivate us, right? Yeah, yeah, that's and right. So, so he decided that real estate was his path and he just started educating himself about real estate. Now he's written in five years, he's written two or three books about cash flow and real estate. And he started a Facebook group called like the Kingdom Real Estate or something. And he makes multiple six-figure income from all of his activities in five years. So it doesn't matter if you're 50, if it doesn't matter if you're 60, it doesn't matter if you're 80. I mean, you, we never want to stop contributing and stop serving other people in, the, in, in something we believe in. So, Tom, I think I could probably talk to you about this because I know you're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. We <laughs> yeah. can talk about this all day long. Yeah, for hours. That's right. So, but as, as we wrap it up, I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for the kids out there and the faculty uh, at FGCU. And I hope that that movement grows and um, hopefully there's uh, some, uh, some other media that would come out of that uh, where everybody could kind of uh, get some of those nuggets that you're teaching. And we'd love to have you on and in in somewhere in the future. And we could kind of talk about, you know, what, what further things you're seeing and, and uh, just think that's really helpful. So thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed being on here and uh, uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Dr. Tom Smythe, thank you, audience, for listening as always. And if you want to learn more about just taking control of your financial freedom, your financial future, go to createtailwind.com. We've got a lot of free resources there. And if you like this podcast, send it to a friend and ask them to uh, take a listen. And obviously, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. 
whether that's Stitcher, Outcast, whatever it is. So until next time, I'm Jim Oliver. Thank you for joining me. Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.